Hello and welcome again to another video podcast around the World Skills Conference 2021, which will be taking place online and live from Shanghai from the 25th to the 29th October. This year's conference is titled The Road Ahead, Skills for a Resilient Future, and we'll be looking at the impact of the pandemic on skills development and the lessons learned that can help reshape the future of vocational education and training to be better prepared for, for future emergencies. The three themes of the conference will be addressing green skills, poverty alleviation and apprenticeships. And today, the conversation will turn around the track skills for green jobs. For that, we have with, with us three experts in skill development and the greening of Tibet. I'm going to start introducing Neil Bentley Gokman, uh, Chief Executive of WallSkills UK. Hello, Neil. Welcome. Hello, Judith. Um, we've got also Olga Striecka, Work Area Lead Skill Strategies for Future Labour Markets at the ILO. Hello, Olga. Hello. Hello. And uh, Ken Barrientos, Program Officer at UNESCO UNEVOC. Hello, Ken. Welcome all. Hi, Judith. Hi, everyone. So we're, uh, we're still enduring a difficult battle against the COVID-19 pandemic with much of the focus being put on mitigating the economic and social effects. However, climate change continues to be a pressing global challenge. The climate crisis has made it clear that inclusive development can't be achieved without a sustainable environment, which adds another angle that should be incorporated into public recovery policies, the transition towards low carbon economies. I'd like to start with you, Olga. Um, and if you could give us an overview of what we've seen over the past 18 months, has this actually been the case? Are also business strategies on the same page? Thank you, Judith. Thank you for this question. Uh, well, I just would like to start from one point. Uh, the pandemic uh, and the measures that governments uh, undertook against the pandemic uh, put all many of us at home and also stopped uh, businesses to uh, basically act the way they, they usually do. And it had an enormous impact on the um, decrease in the air pollution and green, greenhouse gas emissions. And I think it has been a major breakthrough against climate skeptics. So it did increase the awareness about the effects of the human activities on climate change. I think now really climate skeptics don't have their argumentation anymore. And this is an important point because it, it's uh, the climate for the pro-climate action has never been as good as it is now. And therefore, uh, also governments, employers, workers, uh, businesses, local governments, uh, city mayors, they all realize how important uh, the measures uh, to support um, the, the fight against climate change are in the framework of the recovery packages. We don't have yet the overall overview of, of recovery packages across the world. Uh, we have done a little bit of mapping, so I will tell you what I know, but it's not really exhaustive because it's really happening. We, we just live through the situation now. Um, so we know that at the international level, the, the global call has been really to, uh, rather than uh, turn to austerity measures, to um, invest in economies uh, so that uh, companies can uh, restart their businesses. 
and in this call, for example, the uh, UN Secretary General, he called to spend the taxpayers' resources on supporting uh, green, creating green jobs and uh, sustainable and inclusive growth rather than bailing out uh, outdated, uh, polluting and carbon intensive uh, industries. And I think it's a very fair point. Uh, we know that International Monetary Fund uh, urged um, applicants for the financial support, and there were around 100 uh, member applicants for the financial support through IMF, to uh, put together um, the uh, pro-climate uh, stimuli packages. So that's an important measure as well and an important call that certainly will have important implications at the policy level. The European Union is a very important uh, international player, reinvigorated its Green Deal. The Green Deal was put by the European Union as a key policy measure before the crisis, but they reinvigorated uh, the Green Deal and also the Green Recovery Alliance of the European Parliament met with the ministries, um, environmental ministries of uh, many European member states to support uh, the post-pandemic stimulus uh, transformation plans and, and packages. And they also called for the international network to, to uh, basically also pick up these ideas and implement in their countries. But we also know that in developing countries, there are quite important measures. So the uh, African Union Commission, they work together with um, IRENA. IRENA is an international renewable energy alliance uh, to support the uh, advancing and also creation in many countries, but in other countries, so further development of renewable energies um, as part of the response to the COVID-19 uh, uh, crisis measures. Local governments through C40 uh, Alliance, it's an important network of uh, um, cities and their mayors. Um, they also united to launch the Global Mayors COVID-19 Recovery Task Force. So that is also how you know, the urban conglomerates can promote the change through their policies. Um, and it's quite important. We have many examples at national level. I'm not going to mention that, but about businesses. You know, businesses, of course, you know, everything depends on, on also on their survival strategy. And we know that the pandemic and the related crisis basically killed a lot of businesses, especially small businesses. And it's a very uh, sad story. On the other hand, we'll see that a lot of um, survive, survived businesses or multinational corporations, they became much more aware of uh, climate change and their consequences uh, on the consequences of uh, and the consequences of their production as well as now the consequences potentially also on the world of work. And they put through important innovations. Innovations is really leading the, the business world, the business strategies in their pro-climate measures. And there's some really nice examples. Uh, so I will give you one on, on social enterprise, uh, which is called uh, Afrique. It's, a, it's, an, it's an African enterprise that covers 12 uh, African countries. They developed a, touch, uh, a touchless hand washing system for individual use as well as uh, use in, in enterprises, including hospitals, made fully out of um, uh, reused materials and recycled materials. This is wonderful. And then, of course, businesses, they all uh, discuss how their e-commerce strategies, on the one hand, you know, the, the world turned to e-commerce, e-sales, and it, it probably 
supported the the climate agenda and you know decreasing the the effects on on the climate change eventually uh, but it's still not ideal because all these businesses they still use um, uh, plastic packaging they, there is still a delivery which also produces pollution so there are important initiatives among companies businesses to look on how to invest in research and development, for example, to uh, develop new packaging systems, or also the, the new ways in um, in managing the, the, the supply chain, uh, rather than uh, relying on their ex-global supply chains, very often looking into the local supply chain, diversifying their supply chain, and also turning away from the just-in-time strategy uh, creating stock that potentially also may decrease the pollution in the future. So I think it's very important, very important uh, developments. And if we you know, look at some um, at some findings also from from our partners, oh, we see that you know, overall uh, overall uh, business also also started hiring more uh, more specialists. Uh, uh, in very different professions that have understanding of the effects of the production and services and sales on uh, on climate. This is a very positive development. Thank you. Thank you, Olga. Um, I think that that's a very interesting point because I was just going to, to ask Ken also about uh, skilled professionals and uh, it's obvious that they play a critical role in, in enabling the green shift and um, uh, nonetheless, to say uh, it's not required to say, but as clear, workforce can actually help reduce carbon emissions of jobs, optimize the energy performance of processes, reduce waste, uh, help preserve biodiversity and resources, and um, therefore education and training has to go by hand by hand with these climate-related plans and, and, and targets. So Ken, um, I'd like to hear from you on uh, the education and training of this workforce uh, of the future. Um, are all the different stakeholders in sync in making sure that education uh, is helping uh, bridge those gaps? Yes, um, thanks Judith, that's a very good point. Um, yes, I, I would say I think in the education community it is indeed a challenge to get all the stakeholders and the partners, um, especially at the country level, to, to get together and ensure a synchronized or synergetic approach. Although here I don't want to be very negative, but um, I would say there are really promising initiatives that are taking place um, at different levels, especially, for example, at the global level, um, where we see uh, a global education coalition um, being launched. And this is a, a, console, a consolidation of the different efforts of education stakeholders, training stakeholders, including the private sector, um, which is a very strong partner in, in skilling professionals. And I think, um, so UNESCO launched this Global Education Coalition last year, and so far it has over 200 coalition members, and it is targeting over 100 countries in trying to um, 
uh, engage uh, young professionals and train people um, in a mission approach. So this is one example of how we are trying to synchronize efforts. So different UN agencies, including of course the ILO, the World Bank, um, UNESCO, and many other organizations and the different private sector groups and companies. So there is also one interagency group for Tibet and this is a coordinating um, platform where we try to share, exchange our um, activities, initiatives, and resources. And this is, again, a good uh, show of synergy because we need to uh, put together our brains, our, our resources, and this will impact in a very, very positive sense uh, the different member states that we work with. Um, there's also an example of a global skills academy where, again, this is a good uh, uh, synergy, a show of synergy among different um, partners, um, trying to reach out to different learners and train them, certify them, and help them uh, to become more employable. So these represents different stakeholders um, coming together to strengthen coordination at the global level. And this includes greening Tibet and skills. And this is a very important point because there are a lot of evolving uh, platforms and networks that are emerging. And it is important for us to have this kind of synergy. In terms of the silo mentality um, across ministries, especially among education, training, social protection, partners, economic um, <clears throat> agencies, and climate action. They are traditionally structured within government systems as they are based on old models. But we are already seeing a good level and improvements in terms of coordination. So luckily, we have the SDGs. Um, the SDGs, I think, is really giving us a very good integrated framework um, at the country level to closely connect the dots and see how best we can facilitate an intersectorial coordination, um, the, the skilling of people based on uh, uh, synergetic approaches. So partnership is very critical across sectors, across ministries, and we are seeing this as countries link up their efforts um, in SDGs with other SDGs. So um, we're also seeing, for example, SDG4 as an overarching um, agenda to develop competence and skills of individuals and workforce in different sectors. And I think this should be um, um, uh, the target of more efforts and synergies and improvements at the country level. I'm, I'm glad because it's all very positive and um... Um, I actually wanted to go back a little bit in time because I wanted to acknowledge, uh, we've been talking about post-pandemic, but I wanted to acknowledge the progress that had actually been made uh, in the greening of, of Tibet before the pandemic. So I wanted to ask Neil, um, and I'm sure this will vary widely between countries, So, um, but in general terms, what do you think uh, were the most important achievements? Yeah, I think... From a world skills perspective, if you think about a, you know, a young person's perspective, we are all about developing young people and their skills. And I was struck this week that Greta Thunberg, the, you know, the global climate change campaigner, um, said that there's been too much blah, blah, blah. So too much talking, not enough action. And I guess, you know, we, we have to take that, you know, as a, I think, 
policymakers, governments, the UK Prime Minister who's hosting the COP26 in November in the UK, you know, agreed that, you know, there's been a lot of talk and not enough action. But I think, you know, from a, you know, from a global perspective, UK perspective, I think your policymakers and businesses and, you know, organisations have been making quite a bit of progress in terms of um, renewable energy, for example, the development of electric vehicles, carbon pricing, policy frameworks, regulatory frameworks that have been put in place for the long term to um, think about investing in new technologies to create jobs and skills. And I think that skill systems uh, across the world have been responding to that. And I think that there's been a, you know, a lot of focus um, from governments and, and skills leaders across the world to think about your know, skills development in that context. But I think, you know, as Ken um, mentioned earlier when she was speaking, <clears throat> I don't think there's been enough integrated coordination, enough joined up approaches either globally, you know, globally, regionally and nationally. And I think that's the big opportunity now is to think about at a national and global level, but particularly at a national economic level, um, the synergy between skills development, workforce planning in particular sectors. And there's a big opportunity, I think, for social partners um, to really come together and start to think in a much more granular way and detailed way about how to send signals that countries are really gearing up their skills development. So whether it's young people um, coming into the labour market or whether it's people who are currently in the labour market who need to reskill, that governments are taking really seriously the skills development agenda to make sure that people are prepared that employers are prepared and therefore international investors will come into different countries to help support the creation of jobs. And, and these are all important signals, I think, to make sure that we are greening the economy and therefore greening our skill system. And I do think, you know, that there's a massive opportunity and we should be seizing, you know, the moment of COP26 um, to really focus on the skills agenda and, and to really talk about how we're you're going to upskill young people and create a much more positive narrative around the opportunities and the ambition that all countries have to make sure that we're greening our economies overall. Thank you, Neil. Um, I'm going to uh, move towards the launch session because we'll, we'll be talking and we'll be talking about this in more detail. Um, so our launch session is happening on Monday, 25th October. Uh, it's called Impact of COVID on Green Skills Solution and Opportunities. Um, but Olga, I'd like you to perhaps start or, or briefly tell us already uh, how has the pandemic affected um, the, the demand for, for green skills? Has it actually increased or, or regressed? Thank you, Judith. Um, look, we, we know in general the effects of the, of the pandemic on, on jobs. Um, and of course, now knowing that, we can't say that the demand for green jobs um, increased in absolute terms. I think if we, if we speak in terms of now proportionately relatively to other types of jobs, perhaps slightly, uh, we, we don't have the precise measurement on that yet. Um, we, uh, we will implement uh, more surveys uh, to allow you know, the, the, the overall comparison. 
but no, based on what we have already implemented, I think we, we can say with a certain with a certain uh, disclaimer uh, on the overall effects of of uh, the crisis on the job market. The proportionally, proportionately, perhaps yes. Now, uh, if we talk about the effects on the labor market overall of the COVID-19, we know, um, um, and that this is based on the ILO measurement, that compared to the pre-crisis level, uh, the loss in working hours resulted in, in different uh, types of uh, losses of employment that affected two, uh, 255 million people. Um, and that effect actually has uh, a little bit not different consequences because part of that, of course, are reduced working hours, therefore reduced income. That is potentially increase in poverty, especially in, in low-income countries. Uh, of course, there are also calculated some jobs that were not created because it was no growth, so foregone jobs. But what is important is real employment loss. And employment loss goes, really brings people into unemployment. So that is estimated for around 33 million people. But what is even more worrying, especially for people who deal with, with the skill side of the story, that around 81 million happen to be out of labor force. So they just withdrew from the labor market completely. That means that once the world goes back to normal and companies start rehiring, there might not be people. Now, they are de-skilling while they are not working as well, and there might not be people available to hire, actually. So it's quite a worrying sign. Uh, so the, the crisis affected, of course, the whole number of sectors, you know, wholesale, retail, um, manufacturing, um, tourism, where the green jobs are situated as well. Therefore, I think if we speak about, you know, in absolute terms, all jobs decrease, including the green jobs. Uh, and they, it, this situation particularly affected women, and especially young women, and low-skilled people. However, we know that the hiring intentions are quite positive, that the company is actually ready to go out of the crisis and rehire immediately, because it's not a usual crisis. It's not an economic um, crisis we, we experienced before. This is all really imposed by the pandemic measures. Um, and by asking uh, through um, the rapid assessments which we implemented, rapid assessments of reskilling and upskilling needs implemented by the ILO in around 15 countries so far, and there are many more to come, we already have the results for African countries. And there we know that employers, as well as workers and unemployed people, they all mention green skills. Maybe it's not top, top, because the top are technical and some soft managerial skills. All of them you know, put on at the top digital skills. So this is also the effect of the of the of the pandemic. But green skills are mentioned by around one third, one third of people among unemployed, one third people in employment, as well employers, uh, businesses as well. They mention uh, around one third of them saying that they really look for skills, uh, green skills or skills for for green jobs um, to uh, hire workers once businesses go back. Uh, to normal. Also, the ILO, together with some uh, with several research partners, implemented global green recovery assessment, and that assessment actually estimates uh, that through a green recovery scenario with investments into renewable energy, uh, energy efficiency in in building and in green transport, 
the world can actually create additional additional uh, 20 and a half million jobs. And that as compared to you know, other scenarios which were you know, run through that estimate um, is uh, way larger. So it's just un uncomparably uh, larger positive effects on unemployment. Also, you know, if we look at the some results from LinkedIn uh, or you know, other providers of uh, big real-time data such as Burning Glass Technology, we know that that companies um, that the the uh, interest in hiring people with uh, different sets of green skills has been on you know, a steep uh, rise since 2017, roughly. Of course, you now there there were still important negative effects of the of the crisis, but it's really going back, and that there is interest in in hiring people. There are not enough uh, green talent as well, so. Um, LinkedIn also published an important article where they depicted an, an interesting finding that uh, uh, businesses are not really always looking into the formal training. So if they, for example, are looking into invest, investment, investors that would understand also the, the effects of uh, climate and you know, carbon taxation, for example, or other pro-climate measures, they um, they may just uh, hire someone with uh, with environment education, not really uh, a financial spe specialist, because there are not enough people who would have this in a hybrid occupation. This is an important finding, and also they they say uh, there's been really a rise in hiring uh, interest for renewable energy and energy efficiency and other you no know, technology related uh, activities, uh, which are also pro-climate, and the decrease uh, in fo fossil fuel-related uh, energy hiring. This is an interesting finding and, very, finding and very very promising as well. Thank you. Uh, so thank you, Olga, for this um, excellent overview of how uh, the, the pandemic has affected the demand on green jobs. Uh, Ken, from the perspective of TVET institutions, um, I know it's, it's, it is a complex undertaking to identify trends and plan their offer of available courses according to demand. What can help them identify such opportunities and green their curriculums? Yes, thank you, Judith. Um, well, as we try to emphasize that Tibet institutions and, and agencies must do this and that, I think it's also important to note that um, we are asking them to work not in silo, but in greater collaboration and partnerships with the different um, players in the skills ecosystems. And so when I answer this question, I would not only focus on the Tibet institutions themselves, but also all the relevant stakeholders that have um, something to gain or to lose when there's no skills coordination. And this includes um, the different uh, governing agencies, businesses, social partners, institutions, including the communities. And um, I think one of the things that, that, that um, these different partners must focus on is to really understand first the gravity and the day-to-day -day impact of the transitions that are taking place um, at the society, economy, uh, technology, as technology gets expanded more and more and digitalization is really affecting the lives of so many people. So what Neil was mentioning earlier, the, the, the granularity, we need to see these granular impacts and what 
Olga was also mentioning as uh, the, the role of the different partners to make sure a just transition. I think there is a, a need for us to really look at all these issues very closely. And this is one of the ways to avoid silos. And I also want to mention four of the observations that we have um, um, uh, generated when we were conducting this qualitative analysis of the different um, nationally determined contributions or the climate action plans. So we tried to um, analyze 55 countries, NDCs, INDCs, and their communications related to their climate change plans of action, and to what extent Tibet and skills development have been considered or mentioned. And I think in this study, we were um, um, understanding that there are four key things that the different Tibet players must do. Um, first is um, apart from ensuring coherence of policies, um, they should also make sure that there's a coherence at the level of priorities, um, at the capacity building efforts, at the research and the planning of skills development. So this coherence will help um, tie up all the, the, the efforts that are taking place already and also identify where the gaps might be. So we have, we have to have this coherence. There's also a need to um, uh, disseminate widely the different climate change and adaptation information because we observed that um, maybe the reason why TVET is very slowly responding to all these green skills impulses is because they also are not at the receiving end of all the important and the urgent information that, that are relevant for them to know. And so across different sectors, there is a need to disseminate widely and, and see how best all the partners and actors can, can work together to really um, um, deliver the skills that are needed to fast track and accelerate the transition. And here the education community will be greatly benefited and they could really play their role if they have the right information at the right time. And having said that, we also need to make sure that um, information are accessible to local and national institutions, so government agencies, NGOs, urban and rural communities, and other stakeholders. So information is, is a key and we need to have this widely um, shared. Um, last but not the least, identification of specific skills development and training requirements for climate adaptation. So you already mentioned that this is very complex, but then it's a complex process that we have to get into. I think otherwise we are all caught up in, in a great bottleneck. So what is needed is we need to continue sharing. We need to continue learning and networks platforms are a very good source of these types of information and practices and experiences. So we need to be part of this. Tibet institutions, Tibet players need to be part of these active communities. So as for UNESCO, I just want to mention that we are developing a new strategy that will be launched starting next year. And in here, I want to highlight two points. Um, how UNESCO is going to support uh, member states in analyzing changing economies and developing capacity to anticipate skills requirements to inform policies and programs. And this is an important um, step for us because this is um, uh, one of the ways 
for which we can support the different countries and different institutions to understanding this gravity that I was just mentioning earlier. So um, we don't need to be involved in very complex um, skills analysis and like what Olga was mentioning earlier, the burning glass technologies, they have very sophisticated um, um, tools and, and countries uh, and public institutions, they don't have that, but they need to establish synergies and understand um, the different actors they can work with to make sure that they are also able to benefit from the process and also benefit from the outputs of all these skills projections and skills analysis. Second is we are also helping, uh, going to help create stakeholder platforms for communication at all levels to connect the different world, uh, different players in the world of education and the world of work. So I mentioned earlier that we need to be part of these networks and I think UNESCO through the new strategy will systematically help create these different platforms um, to be able to make sure that we um, avoid working in silos. Thank you, Ken. I think um, uh, you've said something quite interesting and um, on the complexities and uh, we have one session that I believe is worth mentioning now, um, which is Job Reach Opportunities of the Green Transition, which will be happening on Tuesday 26, uh, where we'll be hearing directly from businesses on the adjustments and efforts uh, they've made to incorporate climate change solutions in their structures and, and operations. Um, and we do hope that this session will provide insight into any job reach opportunities for youth in both the post-pandemic recovery and, and green jobs expansion. Um, we'll also have the opportunity to learn more on how to bring green skills to curriculum. Um, but I'm going to ask Neil, who will be the moderator in much of this track, to tell us who is this uh, track for and what can we expect from these sessions? Well, I think, you know, from, from the conversation we're having already, you can hear the richness of experience and perspectives and insights. So I think that if you tune in to the conference, you know, you will get a really global perspective on the challenges and opportunities uh, facing TVET systems around the world in terms of greening the economy and greening the skills. Um, I, th I think as well, you know, we'll be having a particular focus on Asia as the conference is coming out of China and Shanghai in preparation for World Skills Shanghai 2022. And I think that's really important for the rest of the world, you know, from my perspective, sitting in Europe, um, but, but also for the rest of the world to have a real focus on what's going on in major Asian economies, which you know helping driving the world economy in terms of policy making, but, but also in terms of business development and change. And so I think you know we'll be having a rich discussion, we'll be fantastic global insights. Um, and I think everybody will benefit from listening and learning from each other. And I think therefore the conference itself and the conference streams will be a fantastic opportunity to share, learn best practice and get a more common global understanding of the challenges we're all facing and actions that we can take by learning from each other. Ken, uh, Neil has touched a little bit on why uh, Asia is important and why we have a panel discussion on Asia, which will be bringing green skills to curriculum, a regional focus. Um, picking up on what Neil said, uh, why do you think it's relevant when it comes to green skills uh, to have uh, to focus on Asia right now and what can participants from other regions learn from it? 
Yes, thanks Judith. Um, I think um, a lot of us could agree that the Asia Pacific region is uh, indeed a, a great powerhouse of talent and skills. Um, and this is why bringing this discussion and zooming into the case of, of Asia Pacific countries is important when we talk about green skills development because they do um, in the region we have <clears throat> a very um, good, a great population of about 1.1 billion young people, according to ADB, and many of them are engaged in uh, work pre-pandemic, although unfortunately um, it has been a challenge because um, due to the pandemic and we expect after the pandemic, there will be uh, unemployment and underemployment and in 2021 alone, according to the ILO, I think there's there are already 24 24% of young people not in education, employment, or training. And I think this is a very good and important um, <clears throat> point to, to know that apart from the opportunities, there are challenges. And I think this it is a very good opportunity for us to seize the opportunities and make sure that we are guiding the process in terms of addressing the different challenges. Um, when it comes to climate and uptake of the different countries in the regions. I think based on the studies that we have been reading and analyzing, there are um, we are getting good signals that the world, um, um, although it's not on track to mitigate uh, or let alone adapt to climate change, many countries in the region are very serious in their plans of action. But then guidance is needed. And I think discussions like this facilitated by World Skills International will really help a lot to, to really um, float the different ideas and issues and help um, create the opportunity to learn from the different experiences and approaches of different countries. And um, here I would like to mention that um, for the session that we are supporting. So UNESCO, UNIVOC, um, cooperating with UNIDO and also the local partners of ILO in Indonesia and the Philippines. So we are inviting um, Tibet institutions in different countries in the region <clears throat> to showcase the projects of um, integrating green skills development in their um, education and training approaches. So we are gonna hear from, from countries like Philippines, Singapore, um, Indonesia, and also Sri Lanka, uh, some very concrete steps that they are taking to respond to the demands and the impulses um, for developing green skills for critical industries in their economies. So why is it important for us to know is because there's a very good regional outlook and also the contributions of the region in the greening of economy is very, very relevant. We see a lot of um, countries in the region uh, as players in the global supply chains. They, they are really um, part of this global chain. And I think their role in mitigating and adapting um, or creating adaptation um, mechanisms or contributing to these mechanisms will help greatly in the global efforts. So we also see um, a very good um, numbers and opportunities to turn the 
the young demographic trends in Asia Pacific into positive uh, elements. And I think we want to seize these opportunities that the region has a lot of opportunities to contribute. Um, and lastly, uh, I also want to mention that there's a very strong signal that many countries in the region are driving to support lifelong learning opportunities for individuals and societies. And I think these opportunities, um, when they are embedded with green skills development and also um, they are taken from a point of view that many young people and adults, they want to understand how best they can contribute to sustainable development. I think there will be um, a lot of important contributions that the region can make. Thank you. Thank you, Ken. Um, to end our discussion, um, I'll actually like to uh, make you take a stand on three different issues. Uh, Olga, we've spoken about the past, we've spoken about the present. I'd like you to go to the future and, and, and tell us, will actually the pandemic will, uh, be pushing the job creation uh, in the future? Yeah, thank you for that very good question. Of course, you know, we can only speculate about the future, nobody knows exactly, but uh, definitely what we can say that the pandemic has become, on the one hand, a big disruptor when it comes to the labor market, but it also accelerated a lot of drivers of change that had been there before. And I think greening is one of those drivers that has been accelerated by, by the pandemic. And we know from the, uh, from the study which we implemented in 2019 uh, and launched in the previous COP, um, we produced um, a projection based on two scenarios, one the transition to renewable energy and another one transition to circular economy. And Cumulatively, the, the net creation of jobs is around 24, 25 million. But it's important there is a big turnover. You know, you, there will be a lot of jobs created and a lot of jobs potentially lost. Still, the, the net creation is positive. However, I always underline one thing. Now, cumulatively, in two scenarios, the job creation potential is over 100 million jobs. It's enormous. This is huge. We don't have to lose any jobs. You know, If we really put efficient measures of reskilling and upskilling people, not only within their occupations to transit to the industries that will be reinforced and expanded uh, due, due to the investments into pro-green type of activities, uh, but also reskilling people into new occupations. So for those occupations where the jobs are not being created uh, in their occupations, to transit to new occupations, to support the transition of people, not only from school to work, but also from job to job throughout their life, supporting them through efficient financing mechanisms of lifelong learning. Um, and then potentially, you know, that over 100 million may create a lot of jobs at um, mostly medium skill level, also quite quite many at high skill level and quite some also at low skill level. And this is important because um, the, the pandemic actually um, caused a loss of job for low skill people. The pandemic also affected women and affected young people and green jobs are potentially a very good source of jobs also for women and especially youth. Youth are very interested in jobs that have, you know, this green chapeau and Suddenly, now you are not becoming a plumber or an electrician. You become a green plumber or a green electrician, which is much more attractive. And then also from the point of view of employability, uh, employability skills, 
brings really many more opportunities for potentially you know, young people, including young women, to find new jobs. So I, th I think we have to keep this in mind. But, you know, things do not happen by default. This is not um, the projection is just a projection, but it's not going to happen by default. If countries do not invest in you know, renewable energy and energy efficiency, uh, then mobility, which is uh, low carbon or uh, circular economy, therefore policy is the, is the key. And it's not only coherence between different types of policy, you know, employment, education, training, reskilling, upskilling, lifelong learning, financing, uh, but it's also in a complementarity of different measures and therefore complementarity of different stakeholders that have to take the decision together and they have to act together. Because if people, for example, are not covered by social protection, how are they going to reskill? They, they cannot afford this reskilling. They will find a job or maybe an informal job, any, any type of income generation opportunity to sustain their family. Therefore, we need social protection. We need some, you know, uh, packages that would give on not only the opportunity to reskill, but also some minimum income access so that people have the comfort of withdrawing temporarily from any type of, of income generation and actually learn for a new job potential. We need very efficient counseling and guidance services. We need labor market institutions. We need active labor market policy measures. All of that, plus policy coherence and a good system of lifelong learning with good innovative financing that targets individuals, not necessarily through employers. Why? Because also the world is changing. There are different types of and other types of drivers of change. It's not only the, the green type, but also, you know, the, the world of work is different now. And many people find themselves, especially as the effect of the, of the COVID-19, many people withdrew. They now are freelancers, so that they cannot expect a employer come their way and retrain them. Therefore, they have to have access to financing opportunities and training opportunities through maybe some vouchers, which could be green vouchers as well, or, or central type of uh, financing mechanism where they can apply. So a human-centered approach for the recovery, which would be green. That is what I'm calling for. Thank you. Thank you so much, Olga. Um, Ken, um, my question for you is, has the pandemic helped or regressed the greening of Tibet? Um, yes, I'll try to make my answer quick and sharp. Um, I think it has um, reasonably delayed efforts, especially when we talk about Tibet institutions being um, expected to shift into online learning. And in many countries, we know digitalization has not really um, um, advanced and many teachers have been caught by surprise and they are not always um, um, uh, possessing the capacities to quickly shift into online learning. So the priorities and the agendas for, for greening TVET and the greening of skills have been slightly disrupted, as what Olga has already mentioned, but we see a lot of opportunities, a lot of potential with the green recovery packages that countries are passing and, and prioritizing. We are really keeping our hopes high that the TVET institutions and actors will, will, will find their position to contribute in these uh, recovery mechanisms.
Thank you, thank you, Ken. Neil, what needs to happen to close the skills mismatch as soon as possible? I think as a result of the conversation um, this morning, what I'm really struck by is the need for definition um, about economic challenges in each country um, and looking at sectoral level challenges around the definition of jobs and therefore the skills that are needed in job roles and that could be anything from construction to engineering to motor manufacturing. I think we need to get into a, a level of specification and granularity to really start you know, addressing this skills mismatch issue uh, between and that's particularly important I think for older uh, people who may be reskilling um, as part of a lifelong learning objective and really understanding from an industry perspective the skills they need now and the skills they will need in the future. And I think that, you know, from a world skills perspective, it's also really important to think about the quality of skills and responding to not just the quantity of skills that are needed, but making sure that they're high quality and making sure that high quality skills are being matched with high quality jobs. And that's absolutely vital, I think, for um, you know, careers advice and thinking about how we're helping young people, but also you know, older workers as well really understand and the opportunities that are coming. So I think it's the granularity and the advice going together, because I think all of this then adds up to, you know, a real sense of positive intent from governments, policymakers, and TVET actors across the world to really demonstrate that we're working in sync to make sure that we're all, you know, taking the opportunity and addressing the challenges of climate change and we're playing a really important role in making sure that, you know, we are helping bring the economy and preparing young people for a different future. Um, well, I'm going to bring this very interesting discussion to, to an end and uh, remind all our viewers and listeners that a full track of the conference will be dedicated to uh, Green Skills. Um, I would really like to thank the three of you, Ken, Olga, Neil, for your time today and, and for this great sneak peek into some of the most important topics that will be raised during, during this track. Uh, thank you all to all the participants in the track and the conference and, and especially to the World Skills uh, Conference Coalition uh, for making it possible. Um, we hope that you have already registered and saved the date for the World Skills Conference 2021, the road ahead skills for a resilient future. If you have not, do visit our website worldskillsconference.com and book your spot. We look forward to have you join us for the global conversation on skills development. Uh, goodbye and thank you. Thank you again, Ken, Olga, Neil. Great stuff. Thank Bye. you so much, Judith, and thank you, World Skills. So we continue then. Bye, Bye. Thank you.